a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. There he is. Yo, what's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Hello, Brent. Pleasure to see you again. Pleasure to see you all as well. How's the world treating you? Good. Good. Treat well. Listen, I've been listening to your album Planet Zero, so it's been treating me very well because it is a masterpiece. It is absolutely brilliant. You're extremely uh, thoughtful and very, very kind to say so, and I don't take that lightly. So thank you. Yeah, quite frankly, usually we'll bullshit to the artist that the record's great, <laughs> but we're not actually bullshitting this time. It's actually no, really listen, good. <laughs> I, I tell you thank what. You. I uh, I went to my uh, Japanese distributor to see if they had it with a bonus track, and they did. And I just bought the import from Japan. That is how much I'm invested in the quality of this music. So, so yeah. I have you today, uh, you two gentlemen, um, and the very first uh, Japanese interview tonight at eight o'clock my time as oh, well. No so way. it's interesting Perfect. that you bought the uh, the Japanese the import. import. Yeah. yeah, it's weird as music fans. Like we do that. Like we'll get the American version. Like if there's a record that I love, like I'll get the double LP gatefold. I'll get yep. the CD. But then if there's a Japanese bonus track, I'll get it from CD Japan. Like I need yeah. like every copy of, of the album. Are you a music fan like that? Like do you do you collect or? I am a music fan um, of that nature, a hundred percent. But I am literally what is considered. I'm a true minimalist. So. <laughs> I don't own anything <laughs> except right. for like two suitcases. Like I don't own a home. I live in hotels. Really? Um, I'm constantly. Yeah, because it allows me to be able to like move on a dime. Um, I'm in Florida at the moment right now because I've um, the, the priority in my life, you know, inside of this band, obviously that's a huge part of my life. But um, everything that I do and why I have the work ethic I have is because of my son, who is now 14. Yeah. So he lives in Florida. So when I'm off the road, I'm always making sure that I'm here um, uh, if I'm not on cycle or what have you. But, yeah, I don't keep anything, really. I'm the opposite of a hoarder. That's <laughs> it's funny because I yeah. have their their all access pass in front of me from the last. Show. I'm not not going to show it here, but it's it's completely minimalist. All it says is "Supreme" on an exclamation point, and there's nothing else. <laughs> it's, there it's just you like, go. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that show in Montreal. I'm trying to think who was that with um, Stone Temple Pilots. Who was it with that tour? No, it was. I think it was Papa Roach, wasn't it? Was it Papa Roach? I believe so. Anyway, yeah. what a what a show that. You know, I'm I'm an older gentleman. I'm in my fifties. And yeah. I'm supposed to sit here and tell you about how great Cheap Trick and Aerosmith and, you know, Kisses and all that stuff. And I'm not supposed to like new bands. I'm supposed to go, oh, new, new, new music sucks. But I saw you live. And then I had a chance to chat with you backstage with Eric. And yeah. first of all, you were super welcoming. You were super nice. But your show, the energy that you put off, the, the way you deliver a performance, I mean, it's flawless. It, and you just go... I got a root for these guys. And then, you know, we've interviewed in the past for other projects you've done. And then I hear this music and you go, okay, what's this going to be? And then you hear Planet Zero and you hear No Sleep Tonight and you hear Symptom of a Human Being and you hear Sure is Fun. You go, motherfucker, what a band. What a band. So That's very kind of you. Seriously, thank you. I don't, I, I yeah. seriously, I do not take that lightly. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about this because you, you are dealing, for the most part, with the human condition. 100%. Uh, 
So, so talk to me about that. Why not, you know, like from the 80s, uh, girls, 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 fast cars, booze, you know. Why take a vested interest in the human condition? I've never been the main lyricist in the band. I've never talked about like fast cars and girls and, right. and things like that. It's just never been something that um, I've done uh, from a musical standpoint. And I love Motley Crue, you know? Right. Um, yeah, you know, um, the thing about it is for me, it's interesting because I've been talking about, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been talking about mental health before it was in the news. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, th there's one element about this band that's very specific, and that does have to do with the audience, whether they've been there from the beginning or they're just kind of trying to figure out who we are and they're just coming into uh, contact with us, if you will. Um, we have one boss in this band, and it just happens to be everybody in the audience. So they've given us a platform to be ourselves, right. and we want them to do the same. So the human condition is something literally since i was like i could form a thought i, I mean it has, has always interested me and not even that it's interested me it's concerned me um because i know that through a lot of different outputs and different people i'm trying to constantly educate myself but i know for a fact that as human beings we also use only about 10 percent of our brain even and 4% is what so, some scientists Sometimes, yeah, even less. <laughs> In this and, interview, uh, we're using about one, I think. Hey, come I on think now. We're, I, I would give us at least 3.6. Yeah, at think, least. You know, it's early. Maybe you know, four on early. a good day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me just, since we since we cut you off there, let, okay. I, did a, I did a master's in educational psychology. So that, okay. that, that mental health thing has always been part of my purview. Yeah. Uh, what what drove you to that to 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 have that as a message come up on multiple albums and on multiple songs? Is it you've struggled with it? Somebody in the band struggled with it. Your mom struggled with it, and it's just something that you need to talk about to sort of get a cathartic kind of feeling out of it. Or what's I've the? I've been through. I if I I'm just going to be completely transparent and very upfront with you, gentlemen, and right. and bold about it. I I've, I've been through it. Um, right. Uh, I have countless friends of mine that are no longer on this planet, you know, because they didn't have somebody to talk to, um, or they felt like they were going to be embarrassed or that they were going to be shamed or people were just going to not understand. And I tell people the worst thing that you can do, if you see somebody in your family or a friend or even a perfect stranger, to be honest with you, um, or a complete stranger, I should say, the worst thing you could do is stay quiet. If yeah. you see something is off. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times people will also say, well, that's none of my business. Well, make it your business because you I could agree. potentially say, because you could potentially save somebody's life. Um, I agree. When I see somebody who's suffering, I am willing to lose my friendship by, you know, confronting them and saying, you need help. And if they say, fuck off, it's none of your business, you go, mm -hmm. you know what? this is worth me getting involved and telling you yeah. something, you know, and, and look, I, I want to give you the other side of that. Also, I have friends of mine that they did. Um, they did have a, a breaking point, whether it was psychological or whether it was substance abuse or an addiction issue, which a lot of times it is. Yeah. Um, they did speak up 
they had gotten to a place where they had hit a rock bottom and they just, they, they said, I can't do this on my own. And, um, I I need help. And I have a lot of people that I know that have gone down that route. And luckily they've been able to come back from it. Um, and, and really have a new lease on life and a new outlook on life. But the thing is, we're in a world right now. It's interesting, man, because people talk about the internet being undefeated. I always tell people, no, it's actually not true. Mother nature is undefeated. Um, and you have to listen to her. Um, and the dynamic of it also is not to get too spatial here, but I believe in the universe. I believe that the universe pushes and pulls you in different direction and you gravitate towards who you're supposed to gravitate towards at certain times because you're not in complete control of your destiny. You're, you're in control of your destiny, but you have to pay attention to what's going on around you at all times. And, yep. you know, look, when you're younger, you don't think about things when you're in your 20s like you do when you're in your 40s. 50s. <laughs> yeah, or 50s. Um, by the way, you look nowhere near that, and I'm not trying to butter you up, but you don't look thank anywhere you. near your age. Oh, oh thank um, you very much. I'm, Appreciate I'm get, it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to 60, so, you know, hey. Well, you don't but, look anywhere yeah. near but, you your know, age, man, uh, so you're, you're obviously taking care of yourself. But yeah. I just finished a seven-kilometer walk before this uh, interview. But just real quick, you know, Jeremy here, he just did rehab, and we had that conversation a couple of months ago. He was going down the path and and he just said what do i do and i said yeah. you got you got to go and how, long you you, how long did you how long did you go oh i was at, i was at betty ford for 30 days man yep. just had to deal with some shit and got through the thing and just yep. kind of realized you had some you know you got some shit that you have to address and you're kind of self-medicating yourself with different things and right you know, until you really free yourself of those resentments and suppressed emotions and yep. you know general dysphoria that you're living with i mean you're not going to be able to live life to the fullest extent that you can live it and that's pretty much what i had to do and i mean that was my story i mean everybody around me completely supported me and you know saw what was what i was going through and how i was doing it and yeah. It's funny though, because I mean, you look at this day and age, and like, there's there's still stigma around addiction and stuff like that, yeah. but there also isn't because like, if you tell somebody that you're having a problem, like the conversations come so far that you can actually talk about it with people that you don't even think you can talk about it with, right? And it's it. So I that was a bit of an eye opener for me too, because it's when I told like a handful of people about it, they were like, oh shit, well I didn't know it was that bad. I'm like, oh, right. yeah, it was getting pretty bad. And, you know, I didn't feel like I could talk about it. And then when you tell them the story of why and how and, you know, the, the situational stuff, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and by the yeah, way, and I, I, mean, I don't bring it up to embarrass you. I bring it up because we need to talk about it. Well, it's not embarrassing to me. I mean, geez, it's, I, I'm the first person to say, like, you, what's going on? Like, let's talk about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I look at a lot of times also – and when you look at social media and I see the younger generation, you know, I have a 14 year old son who has an opinion now. And but it is important that me and him talk to one another, because one of the elements about raising a teenager, too, right now is the fact that I have to continuously and it's my job to do it. And I'm happy to do it as his dad. But I always let him and his friends know. I'm like, remember this about that phone that you have you're in control of the device. Don't allow the device to be in control of you. And that might sound easy with a younger generation, but here's the other thing too. You got to get on their level. Everybody is a work in progress. No, totally. I mean, you you know, it's fuck Snapchat is such a weapon these days. It's like, you got to be careful what you're doing with that shit. And TikTok. I mean, TikTok runs 
a lot of um, and and it was made famous by the pandemic because everybody was stuck inside. And, yeah. you know, so and now that's really TikTok is a huge part of culture now. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not just dancing to like a Drake song anymore. It's kind of like <laughs> no. become a thing of its own. Hey, let me it has, me. and it's heavy in the political sector, man. It just is. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, let me just get back to Planet Zero for a second. There are little interludes, little sort of musical motifs that sort of connect the songs. Yeah. Do we consider this a a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, conceptual piece. Record? That's a conceptual piece. I'm thinking Operation Mindcrime in my head. I'm going. Are we thinking Operation Mind? No. Is it a conceptual album in that sense? It, was there a reason to tie it all together? Because it 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 really comes off as a play or as a movie. Yeah. It's almost like a rock opera in a way. Well, yeah. I just can't see them performing these songs individually in concert. I think you're going to lose the album. I think, I think, I think it has to be an album tour. <laughs> I mean, you know. I think that what we did was, and I, I'll try not to be super, super long-winded about this, but I have to give a little bit of pretext in order to understand why it turned out the way that it did. Right. Um, the last album that we did, which is a record called Attention, Attention, mm -hmm. was not so much, quote-unquote, a a conceptual piece, but it was what we called a story album where all of the songs connected to each other right. and they were part of an evolution inside of this story, which is ultimately about um, each individual person, whether doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, whether you're younger, whether you're older, the color of your skin, that's irrelevant, your religion, who you are as an individual, that's what yeah. makes you an individual. So attention, attention was, you know, it was much more of a story of a lot of interaction between people in society if you will right when we moved into this particular project where we also did videos for every single song on attention attention and it does play out like a movie and you can get that you know online and what have you and see the see the album listen to the album and see the the visual all in its entirety when this started you have to understand that with planet zero this was the first album that we ever wrote in the middle of a pandemic, which made it so different because everybody is experiencing the same thing at the same time. It wasn't like right. one area of the world was dealing with it and the other parts of the world were moving on with life. Like we all had to deal with this for two and a half years. So inside of that, you know, there was from a psychological standpoint, you know, it's, it's interesting how psychologists get a bad rap sometimes or therapists get a bad rap sometimes because they talk about them being shrinks. Like, oh, you're going to a shrink or what have you. And Yeah, it's a I negative was, thing. Yeah, But, it's but here's the thing. The interesting thing about that is that, it's, yeah, that's supposed to be a negative. But the reality of that is why they're called shrinks is because if you really are going to do that and go into therapy to really find out what could be potentially um, hurting you psychologically and your mental health, yeah. that individual has to help you shrink yourself back down to you when you were born. Right. You have yeah. to start at the beginning and work your way through it. And that's kind of what Planet Zero is. And so it's, it's like waking up in this world that you remember is earth but i'll never forget eric looking at me in june of 2020 when we began the writing process for this i remember he him looking at me and saying it feels like we are on planet zero yep like everything went yeah. back to the beginning 
like the the mentality of every even with the technological advances and things like that that we were having because remember it was supposed to be the roaring 20s and (laughs) and that and everybody kind of got you know they got cracked in the head with reality yeah and which was even more amazing because when you go back a century, a hundred years, the exact same thing happened yep. with the 1918 flu. And that's when the roaring 20s happened because people had been inside for two years. Totally. You know what and I a mean? war too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a war. And so Siren, who is the artificial intelligence that you hear in these interludes, one of the things about that happening happened at the last minute. It was a collection of these songs, but Eric had this thought. He had this idea about really tying the record together. And I remember we were mixing and mixing and mixing. For people that don't know, Eric Bass, he's our bass player, who is way more than a bass player. He's the producer, the engineer, and the mixer of the last record, Attention, Attention. And he is the producer, engineer, and mixer of Planet Zero. And studio and- builder. And yeah, we had 18 weeks. We had to build a <laughs> yeah. studio in the middle of a pandemic because we couldn't get none of the studio. studios knew when we were going to be able to go in and record. So we just built a studio. Right. Yeah. Um, but we were at the phase of like he had been mixing and putting this together and me and him like, you know, going on a year, like 18 months that we're working on this. And I remember the mastering engineer, his name is Ted Jensen, and every record that oh, you've ever heard, legend. Ted's mastering, come on, he's a legend. He every record you've heard, Ted's mastered it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, Him and Bob Ludwig. Yeah. So Ted has mastered every single Shine Down record except for the first one, um, and he's an extremely close friend of the band and myself. We've known him. You know, we're not just like you know in business. Like we've become really good friends over the years it's not the hollywood let's go for lunch uh, you know yeah well a little bit more than that like ted and man dude ted is one of the coolest cats on earth man he really is um i called him on thursday and i said what does your schedule look like monday and he said what do you need it to look like and i said well me and eric are coming in we're ready to do it um he was like i've got it clear for you let's go i walked back into the studio Eric continuing to feverishly mix this record and what have you, doesn't know I've made a call to Ted. Um, Walked in and said, I've got great news. And he said, awesome, what is it? I'm like, we're going to master the record on Monday. And he said, I'm not ready, it's not done. I'm like, (laughs) well, you got 72 hours to get it done. (laughs) And he literally, I named Siren, but he created Siren from that moment in 72 hours none of those interludes existed wow and he told me he's like i have this thing that i've got to do to tie this together and it like it's not going to work if i don't do this and i'm like well you got 72 hours man because it's time yeah and i gotta tell you listening to the album it makes a difference those little interludes add like a dramatic it just yeah. adds yeah. energy like, and adds a vibe to the record, you know? It, 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 and it just connects it perfectly. Like, it, mm-hmm. you don't, it, it's not like fade out, fade in, fade out, fade in. They sort of just blend into this piece of work and you go, wow. Yeah. Look at that. Talk about getting Eric. The record, oh, yeah, go ahead. There was like the back half of the record. The, I don't want to give anything away just yet, but like the back half of the record, we literally scrutinized. You asked us if like we still, you know, the album is important. The experience of that is important. It is. We literally for 
five days <clears throat> scrutinized on two seconds. Mm. The back half of the record before the the final the you know the final song on the album the pause in between what happens to Siren and that song starting because it's kind of like the last song on the record which is a song called What You Wanted is kind of this release in a lot of ways and I just remember like we scrutinized on like how long from when she what happens to Siren happens before that song comes in like this stuff man we were so hypersensitive to these things when it comes to a record well, yeah, you guys are almost quality. like yeah but you're also almost like laying it in a way you're like oh is this good enough or is that good enough? <laughs> like, imagine really trying to raise with, the bar <laughs> imagine shine down working with mutt lang the album would come out in like 2030 yeah <laughs> i would love that though like be awesome. i would so if mutt's watching anytime you're ready man well, uh, Jeremy talks to the mutt camp all the time. Yeah. So that's funny. There you go. Just, uh, just real quick, a, a symptom of a of being human, I should say. Symptom, a of, symptom being of being human. human. Yes, it is going to be on everybody's playlist for the next thirty years. That is that is your next big whatever. Just like we we listen to Home Sweet Home these days. You know, thirty years later, we're going to be listening to that thirty years from now. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I, I, you know what? I'll, I can, uh, I can only hope. <laughs> right that's it i was gonna say talk about working with, like like having eric as the producer but also being a member of the band th th like how come you guys don't bring in like a motlang or an outside set of ears to help you guys out and give direction like is the band just so confident in the state that you're in now that you're like no we can do this on our own um we we're never so confident that we think that we're impervious to wow, we really missed the boat on that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah, we know exactly what we're doing. It's like, do you? Right. You know? <laughs> um, so um, our kids help us out a lot. I will say that. Like, we'll play some of it. and But we're still, like, dads to our kids. They're, they're, we're yeah. like, we'll play them something. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the thing is, is this. Um, we've had amazing... We, God, man. We've been so lucky. We've we've had amazing teachers, um, different men and women, um, you know, engineers, studio managers, um, just technicians over the years, and all the studios that we've been able to be involved with, producers, um, different songwriters that we've worked with, and things like that to kind of like look at our our catalog and our approach. One person in particular that I have to give a lot of credit to is a gentleman by the name of Rob Cavallo. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know who Rob Cavallo is, he's the producer of American Idiot. He's the producer of uh, the Black Parade by, you know, My Chemical Romance. He produced uh, The Sound of Madness and he produced Amaryllis from us. Right. Um, and that time with him, you know, I remember when I met Rob, um, and and what would become the Sound of Madness album. Rob's biggest thing was, you have not found your sound. I have an idea what your sound is. And if you trust me, it's not going to be quick. This isn't going to be a, an easy process, and it's not going to be a quick process. Um, but if you'll go on this journey with me, I'm, I'm, ready, to, I'm ready to do it with you. Right. And, um, and it, that was a dude that was like a three-year journey um to create that record and you know after doing that 
And then going on 37, we toured that record for 37 months and did over 400 and something shows. We lost count, wow. you know, on, on that album cycle alone. Um, and then to go back in, I remember when we were creating Amaryllis and everybody with the success of Sound of Madness was just like, what, how are you going to top this? What are you going to do? And it's like, yeah, it's where if you want to go visit Sound of Madness and those songs, you can visit it anytime you want. It's there forever. Like, we're not going to make the same record over and over again. We're, we always try to not write the same song twice. So as you move into, you know, what would be Threat Survival, where we used actually five different producers on that album and there were eight mixers on that record if i believe so we were using Jeez. a lot of people on that record yeah and but we did that on purpose um and then you move into attention attention when we felt as a band that eric was ready to do it like he was ready to do the whole record because eric had already you know cut the cord that was his production of that song um, as a writer, he had already started to write, like, you know, me and him, we wrote Enemies together, I'll Follow You together, Cut the Cord together, Nowhere Kids together, Diamond Eyes was, you know, we wrote that together. Um, that's also Diamond Eyes is Eric's production on that song as well. Her name is Alice. That's Eric's production. It was time for Eric to take the captain's chair for the entire record. Right, um, yeah. And the reason why, too, and the reason for Planet Zero as well, and why it was it was right for him to do it um again eric has a great way of putting it um he says i would rather go crazy making the record rather than watch someone else go crazy trying to make the record uh-huh there's just true. he just yeah he has an understanding of what he who he is and what his role is and he knows how to left right brain everything like he knows how to bring himself into the band as a songwriter as a performer but when he's in there producing and he's engineering and he's doing all these other elements he's still eric but he can compartmentalize so many different things in the studio and he's an awesome awesome producer because he doesn't have a drill sergeant mentality either like he's a constant yeah. positive reinforcement for everybody in the studio and he does that with other bands that he works with and other artists not just us but like he knows how to turn that part of his brain on yeah and i'm sure being part of the band i mean he knows what you know zach's guitars are supposed to sound like and what the drums right. are supposed to sound like he has a sonic idea of what shinedown is and already i mean going into the studio it's probably just easy as hit and record with a really good song right but it can yeah sometimes you need the outside ears also to to, to poke you and prod you let me just ask you one thing in terms of you said that you never write the same song twice some bands and some artists, Madonna, U2, and all, they can get away with be and fans sort of expect every album to be completely different and a different. How far can you push it in terms of shine down? Can can you, at some point, do like a death metal album or go more pop or like how how far can you push it, and then still keep the fan base because it's you know. Madonna does it and it works. U2 does it and it works. Um, right. ACDC doesn't do it and it works. So, right. So who are you? Are you ACDC or are you U2? We're Shinedown. Right. Like, I, I can't say, I can't really answer that without just being very, very point blank about it. You know, it's interesting. Um, we are a band that has been on Atlantic Records for mm -hmm. two decades. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
And in 2017, uh, in 2017, actually signed back on with Atlantic Records for two more albums, you know, um, and same management. Bill McGathy has been the manager of Shinedown from day one. Um, he continues to be the manager um, of Shinedown. And so the difference inside of that is that the label, specifically a few people at the label, namely Steve Robertson, who is the A&R for us, who has also been the A&R for the last two decades. Mm -hmm. um, Craig Kalman, who is the chairman of Atlantic Records, and Julie Greenwald, who is the CCO. Um, they have never put a clock on us. They have never, ever once... Um, you know, gone to us from inception, by the way, from the first album to Planet Zero. Um, they've allowed us to develop. They put us with extraordinary people when we're writing records, right. when we're coming up with ideas, when we're, you know, the music is so important. Really, the songs are so important. And we write a lot of songs, man, when we're in the middle of beginning a writing process for an album. There is a lot of material written. Um, and the thing about that is it allows us to be limitless when it comes to that. Right. We have to be able to evolve. We have to be able to understand also that the world changes on its axis at any given moment. And what you're talking about today is not the same thing that was going on a decade ago. And what's going on today won't be the same thing that's going on 20 years from now. Yeah. So we evolve with the time and that's why we have so much of an affection towards the album and why it's so important to us mm -hmm. because it is a moment in time for that artist right. and where they were and does that ability are you able to transcend that through formats or genres or style or the mainstream or looking at uh music um with a wide net not that you're necessarily trying to capture people but you're trying to show people that it's not about the painter it's about the painting right and mm -hmm. i remember leah piscicani who is retired now who is considered the queen of rock promotion uh in the united states of america she was with atlantic records for almost 40 years she retired uh she retired last year officially um right around thanksgiving of last year but she didn't leave atlantic until this year she's been with us every single all 29 of them um every record um and she recalled a moment in time in her career where she said i think about 2009 when a band called shine down my phone was blowing up constantly with radio program directors from all formats because they had released a song called Second Chance that Funny. literally crossed. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> that crossed every format, not just in America, but globally. Yeah. And solidified the band that an American rock band could be played on top 40. Right. That an American yeah. rock band could cross over into the BBC One, into the BBC Two. That an American rock band was actually for a legendary, probably one of the most famous DJs in radio, Casey Kasem. After 40 years of being one of the biggest DJs in the world, when he signed off the air after 40 years in radio, 
the last song he signed off of because it was the number one song in the country was Second Chance. That's crazy. Let me just quickly follow up on that. That's crazy, man. Well, I just want to quickly, I I had a question about Second Chance. When you're talking about Atlantic, have they always... Uh, trusted your instincts? Have they, or or do they get a record and go, yeah, you know, we don't hear another second chance. Yeah, could you could you go write something? Like, have they ever been like that, or have they just said, you know what, we are going to take whatever they give us. We trust this band, and we'll work with whatever they give us. Or do they second guess you every so often? I've never looked at it like they second guesses. I'll be okay. totally, I'll be totally like straight up with you guys about it. We are an anomaly when it comes to the quintessential storyline of the record label and the artist. Right. Because a lot of times the cliche is that, you know, the record company is the man or the woman and they don't have the artist's best intentions. And, you know, it's all about money and, you know, how, you know, throw everything up against the wall, whatever sticks, that's what we'll, that's what we'll stick with everybody else. See you later. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the interesting thing with me is that my story begins with Atlantic Records with a band that I was signed to out of my hometown because um, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. I was signed to Atlantic Records with another band that was demoed out. We worked for about 11 months, almost a year demoing. I was dropped by Atlantic Records. And then two weeks later, <laughs> I was called uh-huh. back. <laughs> I was called back two weeks later by Steve Robertson, who was our A&R, mm-hmm. um, and said, I want to sign you to a development deal. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And he said, it was created by Ahmet Erdogan, who is the founder of Atlantic Records, mm-hmm. God rest his soul. Um, but the, 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 the element of this is not to be desensitized to the artist that if the artist is not necessarily with the right people and you believe in the artist and you think there's something really there, then mm-hmm. take that artist and allow that artist to develop and give him or her the tools they need to have time to develop. Right. And that's what happened with me. I feel very, very lucky. And then upon re-signing with Atlantic Records, it took about three and a half years and then Shinedown was born. Um mm-hmm. But inside of that, with with the label, because I have a different relationship with them, um, and our story is a bit Shakespearean in a way, um, they've never, no, in answer to your question, they've always said to me, turn it in when you when you believe it's ready so they trust when this you. is your when you believe that this is truly who you are right and if we know that you are being real with us you got to remember these people are in the business so they work with a lot of different yeah. genres a lot of formats a lot of different artists yeah they know they know if it that a lot of them do know especially the ones that are still in the game because they're in it because they do understand so we've really had the most our relationship with atlantic records um yes it's a business but these people are family to me and and they've always trusted me right. yeah so yeah yeah which is always by, good because it's, by the it's way, nice to no, have family trust you with, with no home where do you put all the uh, platinum and gold records i'm just i'm just curious <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm I mean, gonna I be can some- store them here if you want. I'm, I'm fine. 
I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, so about a decade ago, my parents lived in a town called Seymour, Tennessee. It's probably like 20, 20, 25 minutes outside of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm. And um, they had an unfinished basement. And so what they did was, because I have, I have 14 guitars, but my guitars, I know I'm going to sound like people will be like, oh, you know, my wow. guitars are, they're at a certain level. Right. Um, they're, they're very expensive. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are, they're old. Um, He's got like a 63 Strat sitting next to his 59 Les Paul. Like. <laughs> I got some, I got some wild stuff, man. Listen, uh, the, um, our, our interview before you was Neil Sean of Journey. So we were talking about what, 150 new guitars? Oh, 150 new. Yeah. <laughs> so so sure. 14 is very reasonable. Yeah, right. very reasonable. <laughs> but now my guitar player, Zach Myers, um, I would tell you straight up, uh, could give, uh, could give Neil a run for his money. Uh oh. Um, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. But so getting back to the like the plaques and the awards and, and, and things of that nature and the guitars that I have, my parents, um, they took an unfinished basement and they temperature controlled it and they brought this company in and fixed it all up and everything. Um, and so all of my guitars and like the stuff that is material that's mine, which is essentially those like records and some of those yeah. things um and the guitars are in the basement of my parents house that's See? awesome they're not even yeah. up on the wall <laughs> they're <laughs> just sitting on the floor they're just stacked they on are. the floor that is they're just perfect. on the floor in a temperature controlled basement yeah but you got to have the second chance when like hanging above your toilet or something like yeah, it's got to have some kind of yeah, that's great that's I'm great. so like not materialistic it's you know I appreciate yeah. all the I appreciate it don't get me wrong it's just I uh I'm a I'm a gypsy man. I I just I need to be able to move when I need to move, yeah. and I've just never been into like holding on to stuff. But isn't part of a rock star to have the Beverly Hills Mansion and the and the Lamborghini? And I mean, isn't that part of it? Not I mean, this rock star. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not a rock star. I'm well, a you rock are. Star. You are. I mean, you are. No, I'm a rock star for two hours a night. Yeah. Okay. I'm a I'm a rock star. Whatever the stage is, because people didn't show up um you know to see you know no offense but like they didn't they didn't show up to see you know a forklift driver right you know what i mean no. they should like in, like entertain me give it to me like perform it's yeah. my like like i'm there to entertain them so 100 percent. there's definitely a switch a, that yeah. goes off they didn't show up um, to see the uber driver playing on the stage at the room no, you know what they didn't show up for the drum solo they want fucking songs no fucking <laughs> drum solos it's true that's very drum. true we that's why barry doesn't do a drum solo <laughs> smart oh that's right see that's smart. why mitch loves seeing shine down live there's no drum solo <laughs> there is no drum way, solo. such a waste of four minutes anyway <laughs> Jokes aside, <laughs> part of a live show, Shinedown, going to be hitting Centre Videotron on July 19th, also July 20th at the Olympia in Montreal. You go to shinedown.com to get your tickets and uh, venco.ca. Pick up the brand new record, uh, Planet Zero, available now wherever you get your music on the CD, the vinyl, the whole nine yards, all that stuff. Um, man, it was so great to chat with you. Last minute, uh, last thing before we go, you, you talked about Casey Case and we talked about radio and the crossover and stuff. Because I'm yeah. in radio and I uh, talk about just how important radio has been to you through the last couple of years. And what's the difference you notice between radio and streaming these days? You know, the interesting thing is, um, is that first of all, in answer to your question, terrestrial radio for this band has been um, 
it's been everything for for our success it really has like in the beginning the idea was like cover the rolling stone we're going to be all over mtv you have this kind of preconceived notion of what it's going to be like and if i'm being honest they didn't like us right. you know they didn't understand us they didn't get us um radio did radio tapped in especially early on active and mainstream rock radio and alternative early on too like they tapped in to they what i noticed from them and here's the thing with that though too we never said no to radio at all whatever they wanted whatever they needed us to do whatever time in the morning we needed to get up and play the morning show we never said no i mean and they're so important now yes the landscape has changed but you know i'll give you an example gail um which this young lady who had this super genius cool clever song the abc yeah. song uh -huh. you know it took them 11 months to get that song to number one on top 40 you know, in the United States. How did they do it? It wasn't necessarily by, quote unquote, the social media aspect of things. They did it through radio. You know, they did yeah. it through, she did every single thing. In the, in the midst of a pandemic too, she utilized Zoom. She utilized all these things because they were sending that song out. And I mean, and Pete Gambard, who is the head of A&R for Atlantic Records, um, had a lot to do with that. So did Kevin Weaver uh, from Atlantic Records in the West Coast office. Um, they worked that song, man. Like they, they had a, you had a record label that cared about what it was, what they were trying to do and they didn't give up on it. They campaigned for it. So radio is important when you have bands and when you have artists that don't phone it in, man, and they really put everything they got into their music, you get a label that understands that radio is still very vital and very important mm -hmm. because you're still gravitating no matter how you look at it, especially in Canada and the United States, like the radio numbers, when you're in the top five of those charts, they don't lie. And they're the same amount of spins today in that top five of any format than they were 15 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's, it didn't, it has not changed. The relevancy is still there. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, Jeremy is our number one on air personality in Montreal, 26 ratings books in a row. That's awesome. By the way, do you ever play Shine Down? Because you're 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 on the the hot AC. Do you ever play Shine Down? Oh, back in the day when when Second Chance. Well, it's way too heavy for like you know the beat right now. But like you know, Second Chance. But see, we got a brand new song. We have a song that's coming your way called Daylight, and it's being and it's a campaign, and it's a broad, broad campaign with the same mentality on this song Daylight. So, you know, hopefully you'll be playing it sooner than later on your show. And you know what? The cool thing about music today is that everybody's bringing guitars back. Sean Mendez is playing guitar. I mean, Ed Sheeran, every, everybody's playing guitar again. It's cool to have a guitar. Billy Eilish had to break it out. Yes, exactly. Totally. And so, but I love, I, I loved Billy Eilish, man, all the way back to Ocean Eyes. I'm such a Billy Eilish fan. Like that, that girl is necessary, man. She, she rules. She's a great yeah. performer. She's Absolutely. amazing. Yeah, yeah I saw her a couple of years ago. Her. She's great. Remember, Mitch, remember she was playing on stage. She had the cast on her foot, and she was still like going ham on stage, like <laughs> just stomping away, like nothing was. It was yeah, that's yeah. it. Anyway, well, look, so was it my, was so is my supreme pass still good for uh <laughs> for the twenty first? Thousand percent. Really? You just oh. take it. Just take it. I'm gonna bring it out. I'm gonna bring my supreme pass and go uh, go see the show. Yeah, we gotta go you, see man. this gig. 
Thank you. The absolute and, uh, pleasure. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, that you're, you're, the, the album is a masterpiece. It truly, truly, you very truly much. is a great yeah. slice of American rock and roll or whatever you want to call it. It's just great music. Yeah, I so very, very much appreciate your all's time today, especially giving me the platform. Uh, thank you so much for giving the record love. And um, I look forward to seeing you guys in the flesh sooner than later. And thank you again so much. Uh, from the band and myself. We really appreciate you guys. An all-new episode of the Mitch Fine and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.